Well, good afternoon, everyone. No, good morning. It, it, it's it's been a little bit chaotic here already, so uh, I apologize for seeming a little. Well, there's a big game coming up. There is yes. We're we are fresh from our joint KSB USA Super Bowl party this morning, and so we're uh, we're we're glad to come to you. I am joined, of course, by G. A. Bowie, Executive Director of United School Administrators. He is here for a couple reasons. Partly filling in for Leah Flyter, who's right. usually here but is traveling to Washington D.C. and because he had some exciting experiences this week at the Capitol that he may share with us a little bit. Yeah. So well, um, it's a great experience. Everyone should at least do it once or twice. Yeah, that's in their right. Lifetime. That's right. So and so we we will always present opportunities for you <laughs> if that's something you you do want to do. Of course, I'm Mark Tallman. Thanks for joining us. We're wrapping up uh, the uh, third week of the 2020 legislature. We're recording on Friday, uh, January 31st, and so we're very excited about turning the calendar into February. Just maybe should briefly note, we're still kind of in that part of the session where bills are being introduced every day, committees are starting. We're a couple of weeks away from the deadline for most individuals and non-exempt committees. So kind of keep watching. There'll be hearings continuing to pop up, and just you might want to think about, we're about a month away already from turnaround, which is the point at which bills have to be considered by their first house. So we're starting to churn through the process, but we're still still getting a lot of ideas coming through every year. And it's just a little every, bit di different because you know, the last eight years, nine years, Mark, you've been at the forefront of this, really going forward with the, with the school finance and what we're doing and how we can do it and trying to avoid cuts and then the and then the Supreme Court pieces that have jumped in there. So for you, it looks really different. You're not, the the urgencies aren't quite there like it has been in the past, but the bills are still there. The, the bills are absolutely there and, and you never never have to doubt that there will be education <laughs> issues to deal with. So I think what we'll do, let, let's hit briefly on the major hearings and activities this week, we'll turn a little bit ahead to next week and then maybe talk a little bit about some of the more complicated issues and what school leaders might want to be doing and talking about if you have a chance to. Maybe you're going to a Super Bowl party with your local legislator. What is some small talk? Chance talky? for a conversation. Yeah, chance yeah. for a conversation. So Lots we'll, of commercials and half times, I understand. That's right. Yeah, don't, don't pay attention to those or watch <laughs> those, ignore the game, talk a little politics. But uh, So this week, uh, there were a couple of kind of, again, a range of interesting hearings. I will briefly mention them. Join and if you want, we'll signal out those that we think deserve maybe a little bit more in-depth talk. The Senate Federal and State Affairs Committee had a hearing uh, earlier this week on Senate Bill 250. Uh, this is a bill that would specifically add uh, hairstyles and hair textures associated with racial characteristics to the Kansas Act Against Discrimination. Uh, it's, it's designed out of some national uh, stories of students and, and, and other cases, yeah. employees, um, where they feel they have been discriminated against because of, of hairstyle. Um, KSB it was really neutral on this. We did support introduce some written testimony, which was really just a caution that if you identify and single out specific characteristics and say you, you may not discriminate on this basis, it kind of raises the question, well, does that mean if it's not listed, it's okay? Right. So it's a complicated area. We'll see if the committee moves forward to this. This week 
week, a similar bill was introduced in the House. It has not yet been scheduled. So the key thing that for school leaders is just remember, this may be an issue where if you have some controversy yeah. over hairstyle. Um, uh, or this, what, what's, what's it say in your handbook? Well, that's right. What's it say in your handbook? Right. There could be a challenge if it's felt that this is somehow uh, discriminatory uh, for uh, racial characteristic. Obviously need to be sensitive all the way around. Another bill um, which really received uh, no controversy and we would expect to move through pretty quickly but you never know is uh, House Bill 2488 it was presented uh, mostly developed by the school nurses and what it would do is just sort of clarify and update a lot of statutes to make clear uh, how and when you can provide life-saving medications. It's really designed to say uh, maybe a student is having an emergency but they don't have an EpiPen or something like that. Allows districts to maintain a supply, take action. Uh, again, probably something that seems really common sense but in this area you need laws to authorize right. what you can do. That's and, and what this is about. Protection pieces there for the school nurses exactly, as well. Exactly, exactly, and, and, and so that's one where again we testified in favor of that. I think there's pretty pretty broad consensus around that. There is much less consensus around uh, House Bill uh, 2465. Uh, you came out of testimony on that. Yep. Um, uh, I'll uh, I'll briefly describe the bill, and then you can kind of give us a sense of what the issues are. Can I give a blow by blow? You, as you wish. Uh, <laughs> this is a bill dealing with the existing tax credit for low-income student scholarship program, which allows uh, people, uh, individuals, corporations, to get a state tax credit for making a contribution to organizations, which then use the money to provide scholarships to free lunch eligible students to go to a, uh, a private school. Under some amendments in the law, the school must be accredited by either the state or another accrediting agency that the State Board of Education approves. But the kicker is that to be eligible, you not only must be free lunch, you must be attending a school that the State Board said is one of the 100 lowest performing elementary schools. So this kind of is designed to say you're, you're in a school which some would say failing, I think we would say is a school generally with with a lot of challenging students right. you could go somewhere else the bill oh, oh or if you have not been in a public school before but your normal school would be one of those right. schools this bill does two things it allows free or reduced, reduced lunch, lunch eligible yeah. kids which adds about 10 percent generally mm -hmm. to the population <clears throat> but then it removes the requirement of, of uh, the, the, the be one of these schools, schools so yeah. essentially any free or reduced lunch eligible student attending any public school in the state would be <laughs> eligible to receive one of these scholarships. Right. It doesn't change the cap on funding. There's no. no additional money, but it does mean that if dollars were available, <coughs> excuse me, up to about a $10 million cap, it could expand the number of students that could take advantage. Right. Hearing was yesterday, so what did you see? My first question for you, Mark, and this was batted around a couple of times in the committee, do you remember how this bill originally came out? Uh, or, or what time in the morning it originally <laughs> came out? Well, here's, here's my recollection. Uh, this bill, this concept, had a lot of hearings and discussion in committee. It never came out of committee. Uh, during uh, the uh, oh gosh, the infamous, uh, the somewhat infamous <laughs> uh, late night session when the House, actually I think it may have been on the floor of the Senate, was assembling a number of 
um, what some call policy provisions around school finance. Right. It was needing to change school finance. The teacher due process law yep. issue was passed then. This was included. There were a number of other <coughs> pieces that were excuse me, added as amendments to what became right. a massive package, went to conference committee. This provision survived. Right. Many others didn't, and that's what started the program. So this was that this was one of those four AM yes. of final approvals uh, that went to the, the governor's desk along with the teacher Correct. due process. And that's right, packaged in with a number of other provisions. And so this bill this bill has never gone through the the appropriate or the normal traditional steps of going through the committees, going to both sides, being approved, being approved by both chambers and then and then moving on. Well it certainly hasn't gone through the normal vetting process. <laughs> as we as we all know, there are a lot of ways a bill can become right. law. Uh, usually not the one in your government textbook, but this is a great <laughs> example of that. Uh, it has grown somewhat slowly over yep. the years. It is still very limited in the number of students and, and affected. Yeah, there's not a number of, there's not a lot of kids taking advantage of it. <clears throat> and I, but we as we testified yesterday, uh, USA, KSB, KNEA, um, Stand Up Blue Valley, um, you know, as we testified yesterday, it really doesn't it's not about the dollars, it's not about the money. Um, you know, we all want to provide for our students, whether they're in a public school or private school, that is a parental choice. But I think what we spent the majority of our time on yesterday was trying to um, disseminate this idea that um, there's something wrong with our public schools. Public schools are performing poorly, which is kind of what um, the stories came out. That we had a number of people that testified as proponents to the bill. Uh, they were testifying as as uh, on individual stories of how this child was was uh, came to a public private school from a public school with the tax credit. Um, at the parents' wish, and and they were able to flourish. Uh, and some of the things they pointed out is uh, they were in classes with 12 students and one teacher, which many of our public schools don't have the ability right. to do that. Um, but we tried to point out some of the things that we know about our private schools that um, that are great about our private schools, that they do have other types of limitations, and that's why they're private schools. But our point was, if we're going to do this with public funds, we're going to send public funds to private schools that our private schools should have to be allow every student in the door. They shouldn't be able to, uh, uh, to, to screen them, uh, whether they would want them to come to school or not. And they should have the same regulations that we have in our public schools. And beyond the testing pieces, I think, I think many of our pri private schools that are accredited are testing the same as our public schools. But there are many regulations that they don't have to abide by because they are private and, right. and that's the point we got into yesterday and and um, we all got to um, um, have some back and forth in a very positive way uh, with um, representative Williams representative uh, Erickson and then and um, um, representative Landwehr, um, who are very favorable of this bill um, uh, tried to try to catch us at every corner of a, a misstatement um, but um, Leah and, and Mark Desetti did a great job of, of uh, stepping in there and keep, keeping their composure and moving the process through. So I think we were able to get our point across uh, whether it whether it resonates with enough of the members and this is kind of a stacked committee. Right. I think it's probably going to get out of committee but hopefully on the House floor um, We've got enough friends on the House floor that that see that this is uh, truly a voucher bill. It's not. It's not necessarily 
I mean, it's there to help kids, but it's really just a voucher bill. And I think that uh, as you have these conversations with with your local legislators, and frankly, even within your community, um, so often this is set up as we, we want to give kids more choices, more opportunities. And I think most of us would agree not every child fits right in every in every district, every circumstance. <clears throat> the issue that I think most of us sincerely believe may be the problem. If you have one group of, of schools that can set their own criteria or their own discipline or basically say, we'd love to help this child, but we just can't, and public schools have to serve all those children, and then public schools are criticized because they aren't doing well with kids that aren't selected, I think that's where maybe the suspicion or the bad feelings come yeah. from. If it were truly a matter of saying, let's all play to our strengths and make sure no one is left behind, but when when you have a system that says, well, public schools, you take everyone, another system doesn't have to, right. that's, I think, the real fear, yeah. that it then creates a situation where, well, why are you doing so badly with the kids that you have to take? Um, as someone who was always picked last for sports teams, uh, it, it often comes down to <laughs> I, a question of saying, you know, what, what is, you know, what, yeah. what is really fair competition? Well, someone had to pick me, you know. Yeah. So I think those are the issues that it yeah. may be important to have, not framing an idea idea that we maybe don't want competition, we don't want choice. The point is, is it is it is the choice really with the child or with the school, and is right. the competition by the same rules? Right now, that's not the case. That's Really, that's that's not the case, and again, I think, the, uh, to me, another issue that arises here, especially when we're talking about government, and I'm being the old history government guy, um, you know, when we start talking public, public funds for private entities, um, where does that stop? You know, if we started here, we start moving forward with that, I mean, when does when does a private entity um, truly private and and not right. become partially public? Sure. And, uh, and and I guess and you know it's interesting. I don't want to prolong this, but I used to have these debates with a lot of different legislators. I can't believe and, that. Uh, and and one, one of the things, as not everyone knows, I graduated from a private Catholic high school in Hayes, Kansas. F fantastic education. Very very proud of that. Don't know how proud they are of me, but <laughs> but one of the issues that we always noted was. You know, also remember, as you start receiving public benefits, if you believe there won't be public strings eventually attached, you're probably kidding yourselves. Right. And so when you get used to those dollars, that sounds great. Someday there'll be a different legislature involved. And, and, and so I've always said, I think many people believe that vouchers or tax credits or whatever, you know, is sort of like, well, we'll use competition to make you know, public schools more like private schools. Well, that that really can't happen. I no. think the greater opportunity is that private schools will become end up becoming more, more like, like public, public schools, schools, and maybe that's fine. If if we if we create it just like in mm -hmm. higher education, if we have a system where where private schools exist but basically compete on the same grounds as others, maybe that's a strength. But that that's that's not the way it is right now no. in the rules that we operate. And in. I think there are, I think there are entities out there, private entities that 
that's not what they want either. Yeah. They, so, they want to be their own. And, and own that's why that boss. those those discussions yep. become an interesting one to have. Yep. Well, another another very controversial bill that I had the opportunity to be a part of was um, House Bill 2461. So this is a bill some of you may have followed. It is proposed by Attorney General Derek Schmidt. Mm -hmm. It is designed to limit the ability, not prohibit, but control the ability of any local unit, school districts, cities, counties, others, to bring, uh, to have contingency-based legal contracts. Mm -hmm. Now, what this the is... The timing in, seems interesting right. to me. Well, the, 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 what, what clearly this has been driven by are cases around vaping lawsuits that several school districts around the states have been a, a part of. Um, cities have gotten involved in opioid lawsuits. And, of course, one of uh, another case going back many decade, decades ago, I guess by now, was over tobacco, smoking, right. those kinds of issues. Well, it, it turns out, and this was pointed out by opponents, that if you, the bill is written would cast a, a much wider net. Any contingency fees, which might be bond counsel, which might be collection agencies, which might be real estate contracts, would all be affected. And what it would do is require any of these, you'd have to have the approval of the attorney general. So they'd have to review everything. So I'm guessing you weren't by yourself. Uh, no. Uh, we Now, we pointed out KSB has, does not have a specific position on this. It's not something we've really ever talked about till this year, but under the, the concept of local control, which I argued implies at least a balance. It, it doesn't mean that the locals should be able to do everything with no control, but it also doesn't mean that they should have no ability right. to operate or be entirely under state control. How do we reach that balance? So I think that there will be discussions. Uh, there's already been proposals that would uh, limit the effect of this to not include some of those other examples, provide maybe different avenues by which attorney generals would have to give justification. So discussions are going to continue. Uh, this was supported by the attorney general and the Kansas Chamber of Commerce. And then there were a number of other written proponents, um, much longer line of, of oral uh, local governments and, and trial attorneys and others around this. And this and was in another okay. great point, though, is like you just made about the legislature, this attorney generals are elected officials and they come and they go right. and so yeah uh, a lot a lot of points around that that well a lot of people said we maybe we don't mistrust this attorney general uh, he won't be attorney general right. forever uh, we're, we're pretty sure um, so that's a big that so this is another one if you are involved in these cases or if you think you ever might be do you want to lose the ability to on your own initiate these cases key point to have this has started in the house there's a good chance it will also be debated in the Senate I don't believe there's a bill filed there yet so uh, could come out of committee we don't know I believe it's actually by Fred Patton, who many of you know is a past president of KASB, certainly is hoping to reach some kind of compromise. That may be difficult. For some people, local control is really a philosophy. I think there's also the sense that there is support for some of this concept. So can we reach an agreement that maybe we can at least be neutral on? I think we will be looking at that. But certainly, uh, legislators need to hear from your concerns about this. Um, a few other minor bills, then we're going to wrap up with one other bill that, that uh, had a hearing uh, just yesterday. The <clears throat> House Federal and State Affairs Committee had a hearing on a bill, <clears throat> excuse me, that would require 
the display essentially of a poster that would have the national motto, um, which uh, history, God, we God we trust, I was going to see let people, do uh, <laughs> you know our national motto? Um, and so you would under this, tickets. yes, before, that's right, we don't have Super Bowl tickets to give away, uh, as well as a state flag, an American flag. You'd have to put these in every public building, every public school, classroom, and library, but only if they were donated. Right. So it's sort of a, not an unfunded mandate, a mandate only if people gave you the money or uh, the private fun, funds. Fund, and it would have to be private <laughs> funds. So again, not, and not even a tax credit to do it, as far as I know. Um, so um, um, we, we chose not to weigh in on this specifically. Yeah. There was a, a lot of discussion. Uh, I think one of the immediate questions, well, would you actually get the money? I mean, where will this come from? How will you know? Is this a little bit of overkill? And my guess is, having been in a lot of schools, that a lot of schools display the, the motto and fly. So I don't, I, I, I don't, and, and the proponents were not really able to cite a problem, mm -hmm. but it was just seen we want to, we want to inculcate now, patriotism. Did I read the bill right, though, Mark? When you're talking about public facilities, the school was the only place that had to be in every classroom. Correct, correct. So like if an office building, though, it wouldn't have to be in every office no, and every no, public No, no, it would room. not, or every floor, every elevator. So we'll see We'll see how the bill gets worked. So again, this would be another good example to make. I mean, now I've always said, ironically, for sometimes when people have talked about wanting, you know, more school choice and that sort of thing, um, you know, traditionally one of the roles of public education is to inculcate civic values and civic pride and those sorts of things by having kids go to a common school to right. learn these things. So it's interesting, we're, we're, you know, we want to promote that. That's something we have, we've always done, uh, yet at the same time we're talking about expanding options. There are values to that. That doesn't mean that every qualifying private school is necessarily going to do these the same way. I'm being told lower. Oh, I'm blasting people out. I'm sorry. Okay, so much for the uh, so much for the the hidden microphone which wasn't working anyway. Okay, that was one no action yet that same day was another bill just of some interest that would have uh, 2477 would designate election day in even numbered years as a state holiday. It would join other state holidays. Don't know whether this will go anywhere. It's, uh, it's actually a class project. Topeka uh, Seaman. Topeka Seaman. Mm -hmm. uh, kids, I understand, did a great job. They did, they did uh, Leah was covering job. this. Yep. So, um, again, interesting that we, we don't know the fate of both of these. We'll be watching them. Last bill we want to touch on for this week, though, is another one that, that our organizations have both been trying to work on, and that is House Bill 2507. Concept's very simple to try to create some limits on liability for work-based learning. Right. So kids who go into a work environment, the concern is that businesses are not willing to participate because of risks of lawsuit. Right. So tell us a little bit about kind of so, what you've been working on committee's you know, reaction. So the, the, the crux of the bill places all the onus on to the school districts. That's part of the challenge of the bill itself. It's um, and it spe specifies uh, neglect of the student would be the students would be the school district's responsibility. Negligence on behalf of the business would be on the onus of the school as well. And and that um, you know talking with KSBs you know 
legal department and their insurance department, their risk management, that's just not going to fly. There's not going to be underwriters that are going to underwrite those types of insurance policies. So uh, we testified on, on behalf of this bill. We were neutral. Uh, we're not opposed. Uh, our organizations are not opposed to putting this type of legislation together, but there has to be this um, this balance. Um, you know, businesses need to be responsible for their. As and again, I'm not a I'm not an insurance guy, and I didn't stay at Holiday Inn last night. But there has to be a balance of duty of, of care of your facility. And so, what we're asking for is that the build business is responsible for their duty of care. Schools are responsible for theirs, and then the student is responsible for the student. And if there's an accident, we need to have accident type of insurance to support the business in those situations, which many of us already do. Um, but if there's negligence on the, ba the base of the students, uh, my understanding is with current accident insurance that schools have, that negligence on the student's part isn't necessarily covered by the insurance company. It's, it's covered by the student and the student's family. Mm -hmm. And so uh, with this bill, the school district would be responsible for that negligent act by the student, which again places us in a difficult situation um, because we don't necessarily have insurance coverage for that. And there is a statute out there, um, and I have that fancy name here, but statute 721146, uh, again, the attorneys came up with this, but that statute says a school board can't enter into an agreement where, where they are the other organization is held harmless. And so this, as Bill has written, uh, is in conflict with current statute. Now, obviously, legislature can change both statutes. Sure. But, um, um, but we are going to be, we're working with this, trying to create some neutralized language, uh, trying to create um, a bill that everybody can work with, our businesses. We want to work with our businesses. This really came out of the, the uh, Governor's Council on Education, mm -hmm. uh, which we've discussed over the last two years with, uh, with Governor Collier and Governor Kelly's council. Uh, and so we know it's important for our businesses. But we can't we can't put all the uh, we can't we can't require the schools to be everything to everyone so this is one where you know uh, again we're, we're trying to work with the committee members of the committee as you talk to local legislators I think it's clear to say I think certainly our organizations I think most of our members think this is a good idea part of the whole redesign element mm -hmm. is we want to make this the possible. Big part of that our objection is absolutely not to the concept it is only to say if you in imbalance the risk, then districts are not going to have the coverage to do it. Right. And so, are going to be unable to do it. That's right. So we're we're not saying we don't want nope. to do it. We're just trying to say it needs to be worded in a way uh, to make that possible. And we did give some examples of this is going on across the state today. Right. Uh, even in some, you know, we have uh, we have kids in multiple districts that are doing internships and work study programs uh, in fire and safety. And so they're in these high risk situations already and there's already an agreement out there. We just need to make sure we can find something that works for everybody that makes everybody comfortable. I love the word balance. Okay. Uh, that's perfect. Okay, let's switch ahead to next week, and we're going to caution you. There's two big bills coming up yeah. we want to focus on. There's some other things that are kind of, 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 of well, I hate to say lesser importance, <laughs> but are not likely to be as controversial. Um, and we want to note, as we said, bills keep coming in. There will be more introduced today. They could be added to the schedule, so watch, watch for our updates. <clears throat> First one we want to mention, though, is uh, on Tuesday, the Senate Education Committee at 1.30 will be holding a hearing on Senate Bill 2. 
271. Mm -hmm. This is the bill that would repeal the sunset on high-density weighting. So simplest terms is it would just allow high-density weighting to continue as, as is. is yep. um, and so this is one, about $50 million roughly is the estimated cost, not for every district, so some of you would <laughs> not be affected by this, but in effect, those districts, because high-density at risk, is the districts that have a higher percentage, starting generally around 30% or more, uh, and rising with concentration of free lunch eligible right. students. So what you're, with what what failing to take this action would mean is the districts with the highest population of low income kids, strongly correlated with being at risk, mm -hmm. not not identical of course, would would lose resources. Right, and that's that's where we need you to help us out. Um, we need. You to, we need those folks that this is going to impact the most. Those of you that are relying upon that uh, high density at risk to come up and testify with us on Tuesday. Uh, now, this uh, what we'd love for you to do, and we'll be we're happy to help you do this, uh, except maybe between 5:30 and 9 o'clock Sunday night. <laughs> but we'll be happy to help you with this, um, uh, put this testimony together. But what we'd like for you to do is come up and talk about what programs that you're using in your school that are being funded through high density at risk and then the importance of those programs, and then maybe tell a story about here's a student or two that this is affecting, this is how it's affecting this group of students, uh, and really paint the picture for our legislators how important these dollars are. Because I think especially in this after the post audit, I think there's the, this impression that, that we're just frivolously spending at-risk money, and we, we know that's not the fact, but we need, we need your help to help tell those stories. So uh, as I sit here with the magical list of those folks that are receiving some of those monies, we could really use you to um, come up um, and provide some help for us on Tuesday and tell some of your stories, because truly, we you know, in Anthony, in Senator Hensley's bill, it would remove the sunset totally, correct? Right. Yes. Yeah. And so that that is big. It means we don't have to come back and, and attack this every two years, which is the case right now. Um, and so if we can get that completely removed, and it's really going to come from your help. We're not going to be able to do it by ourselves, as impressive as Mr. Tallman is uh, with his testimony uh, and data and graphs. Uh, I will, I'm working on that. <laughs> but uh, but in fact, uh, Gia is right. Hearing, ex hearing examples is what is critically important. We can come back anytime and and that also is important because as I think you've been following the whole at-risk audit has created uh, a lot of questions ranging into deep skepticism <laughs> about what we're doing with the money and we even saw that yesterday uh, in, in 2465 that's right so part of the issue that I think uh, this bill creates the opportunity certainly come testify if you can if not submit in writing mm -hmm. but certainly be talking to your legislators because this will ultimately be voted on by every legislator right. in the house and senate so helping them understand uh, what you use the money for how you select the programs you do the results you're seeing from it um, and one of the things that we have to be very clear about is the, the concern that some of our measures test scores being the best example of state assessments have dropped for several years mm -hmm. have really plowed Toad. Our biggest answer is we've only begun to, right. to infuse new money, but we need to be talking about why has the lack of money 
kept us from making progress? How are we using the new money now? And what is what is our what rationale for believing they are? Exactly. So critical uh, critical hearing, but that issue is going to be around and really is the one big issue we yeah. have to deal with this session. And this is really going to be the jumping off point probably for those additional at-risk conversations. Correct. So the other major bill this week, um, and uh, I tried to explain it and GA asked for a, a chart. I, I don't have <laughs> I one yet. big charts and graphs. We, we will hopefully be sending out of, with our daily updates a description of House Bill, I'm sorry, Senate Bill 294, which has a hearing on Wednesday. To, to make it hopefully simple, this is this is referred to as a truth in taxation property tax bill. So it's about transparency is the argument behind it. In its simplest form, it would say for every local unit that is funded through property taxes, every year that entity would have to calculate a, a mill rate that would raise no more dollars than the year before. Basically, this is designed to say you can't profit from increases in valuation that allow you to bring in more money, even at the same, because people say, well, my mill rate hasn't gone up, but my property went up, so, so my taxes paying, went up. Okay. So the idea, conceptually, is to say that you can't raise any more money. If you want to, you can, but you have to go through a couple of steps. You have to go through this calculation and determine then, I want to raise this much more. Um, then you have to put a notice in your paper of record, which has time and costs involved. But here's the critical point. Then the county clerk has to send, or treasurer, county officials have to send an individualized, as we read it, an individualized notice to every taxpayer explaining how this proposed increase would affect that taxpayer. This has to be done basically between Early, you know, August 1st could potentially that late to when you adopt your budget, August 25th, and you have to have a public hearing. It can be the same public hearing as your normal public hearing, but it has to be done in a way that no taxing units that are wanting to raise this certified amount could have to have could have the meeting at the same time. So you'd have to coordinate with everyone else in your county regarding the, the, the scheduling of doing this. And the district would be responsible for the all, mailing. All these costs that we're talking about the district would have to pay for. So here, I guess, in the simplest form that, that we, we think what your message has to be, what our message will be in testimony is, not in any way to talk about whether this is good or bad for local units who would face all these same challenges, but virtually every part of the school budget relying on property tax is already either capped, limited, subject to protest petition, or equalized in a way that means frequently districts would have to go through this process or could have to mm -hmm. go through an expensive process just to fund their kind of expected budget. So for example, local option budget. You may have a change in what you have to levy because of a change in equalization to simply fund the same percentage mm -hmm. of your budget that might be going up because the state has raised your base. Your voters, if you are over 30%, have already approved going to a percentage by having a that's subject vote, to protest yeah. petition, either vote or subject to protest petition. And the state requires you to have a 15% LOB. And then we're going to add this on top of On top of that, your capital outlay. 
is already subject to protest petition for a mill levy amount, not not a dollar amount. In other words, if if the if your constituents don't want to risk a higher mill levy, they they have that option now. Um, uh, bond and interest aid. You basically have to levy what is required to service your bonds. You might have to go through this process just to have the money to do that. Particularly if you have again maybe a shift in state equalization aid. And then finally, for a, a few of our districts, um, this could would affect as. as we understand it, cap, uh, cost of living and ancillary waiting, both of which already have protest peti petition features or Board of Tax Appeals. Uh, so these are not issues where school districts can just decide we want to raise more money. There's already a lot around it that do not apply to cities, counties, townships, etc. So this, this new regulation would only apply to schools? No, no. It would apply to everyone. So counties in, and cities and municipalities? Everyone, everyone would be affected. Okay. Cemetery districts. Cemetery, right. Any okay. entity, any, any taxing unit or subdivision that relies on property tax would be affected. Our point is just from for schools, and I think this is what many people don't understand, is that if you don't understand how school finance works, you may just think, well, there's my school board, just they can they can they can raise whatever they want. But there are, there, there are number the point is there are already a number yeah. of mechanisms which yeah. limit how much that can happen. And of course, some legislators have criticized schools because they don't use their full LOB authority right now. Mm -hmm. Well this so again our, our basic point is to say um, we just don't believe that within the way school finance works, this potentially very expensive and cumbersome process is necessary when there are other mechanisms that the voters have. And of course, the voters always have the recourse every two years of changing their school board. Yeah. So, but, so, but this might be a great opportunity for superintendents and, and, and clerks to work with your city government and your absolutely. county government uh, to oppose this type of regulation because it really, I mean, along with the, the just the idea of, of the time frame, but this is going to add a lot of work on top of it. And that, and that I think is the key that what potentially might not be for a great deal of money, a potentially very expensive process. Right. Uh, and again, I, I have no idea what it would take to have to produce these individualized. Um, uh, it, it would be one thing to say you have to use the normal process of putting notice in the paper and that sort of thing to give people notice, but to actually add this step would be uh, a, a real step forward. So, but Especially some of our suburban districts that would potentially have to do this Every single correct, year. Correct. So, so that as a hearing in the Senate Assessment and Taxation Committee at 9:30 on Wednesday. Again, a key thing to be talking about. Tuesday. Two, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, we're Rob. Just to be clear, high density at risk is Tuesday. Tuesday. This issue is Wednesday. And really, at this point, those are the biggest things we see coming up. The governor's proposals for CAPERS reamortization mm -hmm. has hearings in both the House and Senate this week. Um, there is a proposal. Uh, well, we've probably gone about far enough. So <laughs> we'll let, let's stop there. We've hoped to give you some things again for those conversations um, with your local representatives. Um, any other thing we ought to hit on before well, we wrap you know, up? I saw a tweet last night that made me check this and, and and although the governor did a wonderful job in her state of the state um, identifying this with amortization it will not affect anybody's retirement 
Um, I saw a tweet last night that said, don't take my retirement. This, as this, if this happens or when this happens, either way, um, it, has, it will affect the, anybody's capers retirement zero. There'll be no effect, negative effect on it at all. The, right. The, I mean, it, the, it, the fund it, is it, safe. It, it is a, this is a, a cash flow choice mm -hmm. for the state. The governor is basically saying, we would rather extend our payments and and pay more. Yeah. In, or, or and only off. extend them ten years, right. not 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 as last year. Right. A new thirty percent uh, right. uh, 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 start over. But I mean, the, the her, what the critics would say is, doing that will keep us at a very high level of contributions, not as high. I mean, her, her plan would bring them down somewhat, but it would be longer till we could bring them down even right. more. So we're going to hit a, two years. We're hitting a, a, a peak of almost a billion dollar payment a year. Is that yes, what that is? Yes. It, and, and that will extend really about to amortization. Now, here's the key. Under the current system, when you pay that off, it's like paying off your mortgage. And so people have said, if you want to be in the legislature, be in the legislature in like 2034, because then you'll get <laughs> you'll, money rolling in. That's right. And so, and that's why uh, exec, Capers Executive Director Alan Conroy, deeply respected, is basically saying, we will probably, as the Capers Board, recommend reamortization at some point. But the Capers board is not recommending at this time. Right they now. say we, we still have too high of a level, uh, and so the time may come we're not there. So I guess I'm getting the go chief sign. I think that means we've been here enough. Everyone's getting very excited. There's probably still more food here left in the building. Oh, so, good point. Uh, so we're going to wrap up for now. Of course, if you have any questions, uh, uh, contact either of us. Follow our information. We, we anticipate a, a very exciting post-Super Bowl week. There we go. Hopefully all of our legislators will be in a good mood. And, so. you know, maybe if they win and Wednesday there's a big parade, maybe the legislature will just shut down. That's possible. That's certainly possible. <laughs> probably not so. probable. But. That's right. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, GA. Thank you for your insights, and uh, we'll see you next week. Take care.